Hello and welcome to Forgotten Cello Music, episode 54. This is part 4 in an exploration of counterpoint taken from Quarenghi's very large cello method. Part 4 is all about fugue. If you've been following, listening along, you know I've already done three episodes in counterpoint, starting with the five species, then imitation, then canon, and now fugue. What is a fugue? The most highly developed form of contrapuntal imitation, whereby a theme proposed by one part is taken up in succession by all participating parts. Found in Baker's Dictionary of Musical Terminology. This is episode 54, and as I've said, it's a it's a four-part series, and this is part four. I like to explore these tangential elements embedded, naturally embedded in the exploration of music, um, mainly because it has a lot to do with Bach and how important Bach features in a classical musician's life. This is taken from Quarenghi's cello method. It's an incredibly large work that deals with everything from how the cello was constructed, where it came from, i.e. cello history, many different parts of technique, even some cello, uh, some theory as in this counterpoint. So what is the purpose behind this music theory-oriented series? Well, as I've said already, it's about Bach. We play Bach, but we don't really understand how Bach wrote. Sure, we hear things like sequence. Bach is all about sequence. He was old-fashioned. He wrote in the old style. He wrote in counterpoint. Listen to the voices. But do we really understand what it means and what it entails? And number two, Quarenghi wrote his own composition for all of these forms. In fact, throughout the entire method, there are uh, dozens, hundreds of compositions that he wrote just for this method. Uh, it's just incredible. It's astounding to me. This is forgotten cello music because Quarenghi did write the five species examples. He did write the cello duets for imitation canon, and now in this episode, the fugue. Well, let's get right into it. What is a fugue? What are all the parts of a fugue? Well, I'm going to do a very basic explanation, a very basic exploration of this form, this in intense form. A fugue utilizes all elements and techniques in the contrapuntal arsenal. Neither recall the five species of counterpoint. Of course, that's that. those are the most fundamental elements. And then imitation and canon, and of course now the fugue. The fugue is, of course, more involved and more sophisticated than any of the other examples I've explored so far. It's very detailed. 
and a definition is certainly needed. And for those, again, I turn to Baker's Dictionary of Musical Terms and, uh, and an old Groves version from about 120, 30 years ago. Fugue, number one, the most highly developed form of contrapuntal Im imitation, whereby a theme proposed by one part is taken up in succession by all participating parts. The word fugue is presumably derived from the Latin, and I don't know how to pronounce it very well, but I'm going to say fugue. <laughs> if anybody has a better pronunciation of that, let me know. And that is a flight which aptly characterizes the chasing and changing of the subject through the several parts. Here are the elements essential to every fugue. And there are four. Subject, answer, countersubject, and stretto. Now to the previous four essential elements, there are uh, a number of others, and I'm going to name another four, although there are more but I'm going to explore a little bit of these particular four. That is an episode, organ point, or what I think I learned it as pedal point, uh, coda, and codetta. A little bit about the four essential elements of a fugue. The first one being the subject. Without the subject, we have nothing to build our fugue from. So we must have a subject. And that is a usually short and suggestive phrase of music. After the subject is announced alone, it is taken up by the next part or the next voice, which is called the answer. The answer comes in at a different interval, usually a fifth higher or a fourth lower than the original one that is the subject. As the answer enters, the voice that was playing the subject normally continues on, but playing a counter-subject along with the answer. So for everything that we're talking about right now, for the sake of simplicity and for the sake of sticking with the arrangement style from Karingi's method, it will all be two-voice or cello duet. There can be more than two parts, but we are not going to explore any of those three-part, four-part, or however many parts. Now, after all the parts have entered, and of course in our example with Karengi's fugue, we have two parts. The initial section, that's called the exposition is succeeded by an episode. Now an episode is a section that is usually derived from the subject and the counter-subject. It modulates into related keys. Now jumping all the way to or near the end or preparing to go to the end, the fugue may be concluded by a stretto. And this is where the subject and answer begin to overlap, and it, it's following in closer and closer succession. That is, the subject enters and the answer comes a little sooner than it did at the beginning, and then 
if there's another stretto, the subject comes in and the answer comes in even quicker, even closer to the beginning of the stretto, and so on, until you're nearly playing at the same time, which you will see in Quarenghi's own example. This also occurs frequently above an organ point. Now, in our case of Quarenghi, we'll discover that it is after the organ point. And finally, there is a coda, which is a general finale or ending using freer counterpoint. We now will listen to a few examples. Um, I've got some very simple, uh, basic examples that we can listen to that are, um, I guess you could say, exercises. They're taken directly from the dictionaries that I've referred to already, the old bakers and old groves. So at this point, let us listen to a number of generic examples. And for the generic examples, they are simply tonic dominant. There's nothing um, that needs to be explained. I think you'll get it. It's just coming in. If, if it's the tonic, it comes in on a C. If it's the dominant, it comes in on the G, generally speaking. And I will play at this time three examples of the most basic form. As we continue, let us look at a number of famous examples. Uh, Groves is great. It is almost like a textbook in its own right. Here's the first one. Handel, Hallelujah from the Messiah. Just two measures. Jumping to Bach. A contemporary, of course, of Handel. We go to maybe the most famous example of Bach's contrapuntal prowess, the art of the fugue, and these are numbers five, six, and seven, all in succession, and here they go. it to say that when you're dealing with counterpoint, you can always utilize various 
um, methods or tricks to make the subject or the answer just a little bit more interesting. So in number five, we had the answer by inversion. In number six, we had the answer by inversion and diminution. And finally, number seven, we had the answer in inversion and augmentation. For the last famous example, let's jump back to the Messiah. This is uh, a wonderfully powerful example. Every time I play it, I usually get shivers or goosebumps or however it is. It's positive regardless. And he shall purify. Here is four measures of the subject and four measures in the answer. Obviously, just to get you acquainted, in case you, you thought, oh, I don't know, fugue, I'm not sure, but actually you do. Okay, now let's go on to Quarenghi's own fugue for cello duet. We need to prepare our ears for Quarenghi's original fugue included in this method. Let's listen to just the subject and then just the answer. And where I left off there begins the counter-subject as the answer joins in. Now let's listen to just the isolated answer. So we have an eight measure subject. That's rather lengthy, but it's it's a nice little melody to listen to, and uh, you'll I think you'll grow to appreciate it as I did, as I was working on it and uh, thinking about all the different aspects and parts to this fugue. I'd like to address the labeled sections, what he has actually labeled in his cello method of this composition. You can see it printed on the page. Uh, we've got subject, answer, and counter subject. Then he labels a, a divertimento. And then he labels episode. Number four, or the next one is imitation of the subject. Then we have to skip over some pages. Now only three pages from the end he begins, or only two pages from the end he begins a pedal point. Then finally, we get into the series of three strettos. And listen carefully. Listen for how he makes the answer enter nearer and nearer to the beginning of each stretto. Um, I'm not going to tell you how many half notes 
Remember, this is in cut time, so we're counting in two. But can you identify how many half notes or how many beats go by between the first note of the subject and the first note of the answer with each successive stretto? Three strettos. Now, finally, he labels a largo. He oddly does not put it, uh, label it as coda. Um, and I would have thought that that would have been labeled. But it obviously is an ending, so we can call it a coda. Here is the entire six-page fugue for cello duet by Giulielmo Quarenghi.
Well, I don't know about you, but wasn't that really magnificent just to hear that, I don't know, it's almost spine-tingling in a way. It's not only a plagal cadence at the end in the Largo, in the Coda, but it's a Picardy third. That's pretty cool. I actually wasn't expecting that from a 19th century composition. What did I glean from this closer look at counterpoint? I think it, it, for me, it's necessary to actually say it. What did I get out of it? You know, I made a big deal about actually taking the time to study counterpoint because uh, of one of these massive roadblocks in my brain, and that was I didn't learn it when I was learning, you know, taking cello lessons and in college. Yeah, yeah, I said already we had to learn counterpoint it's separate from the cello, but we never dealt with it specifically in cello, despite the fact that Bach was such a huge factor in, in cello playing. And I mean, it's on every audition. It's, it's expected to be played in nearly every or many of your recitals, official recitals for degree. So why, why don't we learn about it more? Anyway, what did I learn in my short and cursory study of counterpoint? What I can say for absolute certain as to what I learned is that I can identify the basic parts, uh, species even. I can identify these building blocks, note against note or two notes against one, uh, moving on to antecedent and consequent. I can identify imitation. I can identify the subject and the answer. I think I can even identify an episode now, which was, mm, I think I could feel it, but I don't know that I would really be able to identify it or would have been some years ago or even, what is it, uh, three months ago. It's interesting because in a way, it this study gave me a little bit more impetus or more of an itch to learn more than oh, yeah, that's enough. I, I think I can live my life. I can get by. I, I enjoy Bach enough. I, I'm not going to play Bach that much anyway. But I don't know. Part of me says that, but the other part also says, oh, it would be really nice to justify my frustration by actually learning it myself. And any anybody is going to tell you that if you're going to learn anything, you do it on your own, right? Not to say that the teachers don't guide you, but you you actually have to put in the work and be interested in it. And so I'm not going to promise that I'll do a study of the box, box uh, suites for cello. Definitely not all six anytime in the near future, but I might consider doing a a study of the prelude from his suite in C minor, the fifth suite, where it houses a fugue. So that's a possibility. We'll see. Uh, first, I'm busy uh, primarily with learning as much forgotten cello music as I can. And of course, I always have in the back of my head 
that learning all of Guttermann's music for cello and piano um, has been a goal for a while now. So I might get back to Guttermann uh, in a little bit. Uh, we're co- actually in in the cello history book that I've been reading and taking lots of these names from, uh, The Violoncello and Its History by Vasilevsky. I think Germany is either the next chapter or the next next chapter in the 19th century, and that is right where Guttermann is located. So uh, might be might be a really good excuse to uh, have a glut of Guttermann's music for several months. We'll see. Why don't you write in the comments if you want to hear more Guttermann or don't? Well, folks, this brings us to the con- conclusion. I am officially uh, done with my studies in counterpoint. It has it was quite a tangent, and it was a bit cursory, even though it took a long time. It certainly was not that in-depth, but it was important to me, and I learned enough to at least temporarily satisfy my need to know, if that makes sense. But, I mean, it was worth it, too, because you you got to hear three forgotten cello pieces, namely Karenghi's Imitation, his Canon, and his Fugue. And, of course, if you want to count those five species of counterpoint, but that's, you know, just eight or 16 measures worth uh, for each one. So it's it's not really a composition, but in the sense that it doesn't have a theme. It's not really going anywhere. It's just showing us the aspect of the species. The following episode will resume more cut-and-dried presentations of forgotten cello music. Now, if anyone is listening out there, please let me know. Have you found these past four episodes interesting? Well, in general, how did you find them? How, How did you experience them? And, of course, the podcast in general. Let me know. It'd be nice to hear um, more people and how they experience what they're listening to here. Uh, thanks already to the people who have sent emails to me. I get one uh, email every every now and then, which is it's really fun to hear comments and hear thoughts and hear what you're doing. Anyway, send me an email. Uh, you can do that at traveling cello group at gmail.com you can leave a voice message at my podcast's homepage anchor.fm forward slash traveling cello now if you listen on spotify uh, which would be just fantastic if you did that you can leave a reply to the question what did you think about my exploration of counterpoint in these four most recent episodes. I just write a short thought. Last but not least, I haven't really, I have had very little luck getting patrons in my Patreon, but a sincere thank you to those that have joined. I hope that you feel it's worth your your money. Um, I'm just uh, finding and searching for ways that I can make a living and uh, of course I teach cello and that is my bread and butter Uh, 
But if any of you have been thinking about it, have been, it's been in the back of your mind, I encourage you to go look at my Patreon. I'll leave a link in the description. And really consider joining at the $3 per month tier because that's the first tier that you can get a sticker, uh, some merch, and it is, it's a sticker, and you get it after three consecutive months. Thanks so much for listening to this episode about Fugue in Counterpoint, based on Giulielmo Quarelli's cello method. See you for the next episode, and remember to play more forgotten cello music. Thank you.